Let's go to Romans chapter number 8. We've been working on Romans chapter 8 since January the 1st, and we're getting there. Uh, we are in verse number 19, in a paragraph that uh, starts here in 19 and goes through verse number 20, uh, let's see, what did I say? 25. 25. Now, the, the topic we're on, I'm catching up some of you folks who haven't been with us for uh, the study that we have before us. The security of the believer, Romans 8 is such a refreshing, such a stabilizing chapter. Very necessary one, I believe, for us as believers. Uh, we live in uncertain days, but we also have those tendencies to, to think inaccurately about God's love for us. And so this chapter is just packed with what he wants us to know about how secure we are in that relationship with him. And with that, we've already seen several things addressed about our past, about the way we think, about how we live, about our relationship with him. Those are all the way up to verse number 18. And verse 18 prompted us into this next phase we're studying about our future being secure because the last words of verse 18 spoke about a glory that is to be revealed to us. And Paul, as you know, can take one phrase and just launch into the next concept and fill that out for us. And that's what he's doing here in verse 19 through verse 25. He's talking about our future and he does it in a way that we're not so accustomed to, to tell the truth. He's using nature. He's using uh, creation as this illustration. And, and I do have to underscore that here as we go into it. So you're not thinking, well, Pastor Bob, what is he preaching on today? Uh, he's talking about creation and things. It's not an environmentalist sermon. Uh, it's not go out and hug the nearest tree sermon. It's an illustration about what God is doing. He has a plan. And it's a fascinating Illustration. Another thing to keep in mind as we go through verse 19 through 25, which we're not going to do all that today. Verse 22 is about where we're going to end. But this is an illustration, and he has personified creation for that purpose. All right? You don't technically hear uh, things talking to you outside, like plants and things like that. Uh, I don't think you do. <laughs> Uh, but if you do, uh, well, that's a different sermon. But uh, we're, we're talking about how creation takes on human personality so that we can understand it better, what God has tried to teach us. Like I said last couple of weeks ago, you know, rocks can cry out, trees can clap their hands, things like that. And you, you can read that and you don't literally think that that's the way trees and rocks are. And so, with that understood, it's important that we do this as we go into verse 19 and on, that this is the personification of nature so that we get a better understanding of what God is doing. Here's how it broke down, and our outline last time dealt with verse 19, 20, 21, and even 22, talks about creation and its response to what is going through the current day. And then verse 23 is the... the point that is made that's the strongest, um, I call it the, the, the theme of this paragraph, and it says, and not only this, but also we ourselves 
having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as son, the redemption of our body. So he's going to take that illustration and apply it to us and help us understand better where we are in God's plan. Alright, so that's going to be important, and that's next week. Alright, if I get through this one today. Uh, next week we're going to hit verse 23 and on through 25. But we're going back to creation today. And the key to this is really, I'm going to start with point three. I thought about leaving it for point three, and I said, no, let's start with point three and back up to one and two and come back to three again. But it's in verse number 22. This is the illustration that you're to keep in mind as we go here. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pain of childbirth together until now. Very appropriate for Father's Day. Right? No, it should have been Mother's Day. Uh, The illustration for nature to understand what it's going through is the process of childbirth. Right? When we understand just that little picture, it will clear up an awful lot of verse 19 and 20 and 21 as well, because it's describing that process of going through childbirth. Not from the mother's perspective, but from the baby's perspective. You remember that? Maybe it's a good thing we don't. All right. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. We seek your help this morning as we look at this passage, we do pray that we understand it better. But most of all, Lord, impress upon us that you are at work in our life and what you are going to do is not only something we can be secured in, but something that is absolutely fabulous and exciting. And we ought to be those that look forward to what you're doing and what you're bringing about. So help us to understand today and help us to appreciate even more your great love for us. Thank you for this, in Jesus' name, amen. We had the verses before us, 19 through 22. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. All right, big picture. This is Paul teaching us using creation in order to show us our security in God. Creation does talk about the glory of God. The expanse does declare the works of his hands. And so, we're looking at more than a sunrise or a sunset or some beautiful landscape or an ocean. Uh, We're looking at God's handiwork. And he has displayed his handiwork in creation. uh, So that we understand his character better. We understand his activities better when we take a good look at what he has done. And that's what Paul's doing here. Uh, It's just illustrating the importance of waiting and hoping. Now, with that word, waiting and hoping, I put the word expectation. Because that is the nature of hope, by the way. Hope is a confident expectation. 
It's not the American hope. You know, I hope so. When you have, you know, a certain percentage of doubt in your heart. I hope so. But this is a confident expectation. It is based on what God is doing and not based on what we have done or what we will do. But this, this picture is fascinating. God is at work. All right? Even in creation, God is at work. He has a plan for it. And verse 19 through 22 tells you he will not fail. It's that simple. He will not fail. How many times have you heard, and maybe even thought yourself, over the, the years since, well, for some, maybe since the 40s, and into the 70s especially, and maybe the 80s, oh, somebody's going to push that button and blow up everything. We've had this tendency to think, well, that's how the world's going to end. It's just going to explode, and, you know, it'd be done, and everything else. We forget something. God has a plan. And who do you think is going to win in the end? Do you think that somebody with a a finger on a button who gets careless is going to thwart what God has planned for his world? Not at all. I don't know if that helps you today. But in the picture of it all, God has a plan and he's working it out. And the, the application to us is that you, believer, God has a plan. And he's going to work that out perfectly. It will not fail. It will not fail. So that's our big picture. Let's look at creation side of this picture especially. Main point, uh, it is longing. Verse number 19. Creation is longing for us to be revealed as the sons of God. It's waiting. And I think it's an interesting concept here. It's waiting. It's waiting for a great revelation, the, the idea of taking the lid off the pot to see what's inside of it. Somebody's going to lift the cover, and God will. And he'll reveal what he has been planning all along. This is not suggesting at all that uh, we are not sons of God. It doesn't suggest that we're waiting to become sons of God. But there is a final revelation of that fact. We already know that we are belonging to him. What did verse 14 tell us? All who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are who? Sons of God, right? So it's not a matter of it's waiting for us to become the sons of God. It's waiting for that to be revealed as a fact. That everybody knows it and everyone's convinced of it and it's all completed. It's waiting for that day when the completion will come about. See, creation in its personified form, is intensely expecting it. I like that. It intensely anticipates. It fully expects it. In the way it's said, it's doing it right now. And it does it continually. It anticipates that this is going to happen. Now, I think that's kind of an interesting way of saying things today. Because creation knows as a fact concerning us that we are sons of God and we shall be revealed fully that way. Now remember, it's being personified, okay? But creation in this picture knows that thing. It has intense uh, anticipation. It has full expectation that God will keep His Word and we will be glorified together with Christ. Now, if you put a maybe 
all that fact. If you say, well, I don't know if truly I will be glorified together with Christ. If you're saying, well, I hope so, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to wait and see, and see if that comes about. Do you realize creation believes it more than you do? That's what the picture is saying. It is expecting it. Are you? Do you anticipate it that fully, that confidently, that you shall be glorified together with Christ? If you doubt, you're worse off than the plants around you. They expect it. That's what he's saying about creation. It expects this. It fully knows that. And it's kind of convicting when we doubt that. Because they know what the Lord's future is for you. So why is it so eager? Why? Why? What's the reason? Why should it be so excited about such a thing? It has nothing to do with it, it seems. But in verse number 20, the reason is given. It starts with the word for, and it starts the explanation. It says, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, goes back, as I shared a couple weeks ago, to Genesis 1, Genesis 2, Genesis 3. When God created the world, he called it very good. And then we know what happened in chapter 3 when man sinned. Among the things that happened there, there was a curse on a serpent. Right? There was a curse on cattle. It was in the wording. The serpent was cursed more than the cattle of the field. There was a curse on the animal life. There was enmity. There was bruising going on as well. Women, we know their part. There was the increase of pain in childbirth and such of that nature. And Adam, when the curse came around to him, where did it go? Cursed is the ground because of you. Remember? The ground was cursed as a result of Adam's sin. Now, you could almost hear the ground moan when that happened. That is not the way it was designed to be. With the curse, cattle, beef, vegetation, all felt it. They entered into a, a place of futility. They went into a place where it was profitless, where there was emptiness. It had never known that before. God did not create it that way. But suddenly it was pressed into a cycle of struggle and a cycle of pain and a cycle of limitations it had never known before. That's what creation was subjected to. And that's what it says in verse uh, 20 here. God the Creator subjected it to futility. He arranged it that way. And you will say, well, if that's not creation's choice, it wasn't willing to go down that route, but it was. Did that mean God was punishing the ground? Was God punishing your cow? Why did he put it under a curse? Why, why was that so? Did he punish them? When you stop and think about it, I think this is logical. I don't know if I have a verse that supports it so well. But if the ground was not cursed, if the animals were not cursed, how could we, as fallen mankind, live on a planet that's not 
suitable to that curse? How can we keep up with it? You uh, folks who've been working on the harvest, and you know how tiring that is for a single day. To go out early in the morning to start the cutting, to do all the reaping, to dump it in the, the bins, to take it into the co-op, back and forth and back and forth. How would you like a year-round job of that? Matter of fact, you'd need 24 hours a day just to keep up with the production of the field. When God created the field, it was meant to be abundant. And we don't even know that word on our planet. We have never seen it like that. Just the enormity of what it was designed to produce. Mankind, in its limitations of the, of the physical death and the decay that came with it, could not keep up with a single field. Any more than animals. And all the rest that would be far beyond us. As in the fact that they weren't cursed and we were. We would have limitations they would not. In other words, there was an element of mercy here. An element of mercy that God gave to mankind. He put limitations on this earth. He put limitations on the vegetation, on the animals as well. They were brought into the scene of decay and disease and death because that's where mankind was. It was suitable. That was God's plan. He made it so man could keep up with the ground, even though it did now produce things that we didn't like. Thistles, weeds, onions, things like that. But God reset the dial. Okay? He reset the dial on creation. Its ability, so it would keep up with man's ability. He set it in a stage of futility, because that's where we were. That was kind of him to do that. But the curse is limited. Because in God's plan, he only set the dial down for a certain duration of time. It was meant to be limited, and we can go into all the other theology, and we did a little bit last time, but at the second coming of Christ, part of that curse is lifted. The abundance will be seen again during the millennial reign of Christ. And then ultimately, there will be a new heaven and a new earth and no limitations whatsoever. But here's what it says. In verse 21, it will be set free. You see that? It says that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. It won't be free until God's plan is ready. When it's time to glorify the believer, that's his, his uh, mark, that's when it will happen. When the believer is glorified, and I picture that as you have the rapture coming up, and then we are glorified. We enter into heaven, and that's going to be quite a day. We shall be changed, Right? We'll move from mortal to immortal, from perishable to imperishable. That's going to be an incredible change. And then the Lord will bring us back with him for his reign on this earth for a thousand years, and the earth will look different. If you're looking for your house, you may not recognize it. But here, nevertheless, we're going to be here, reigning with Christ, and that's when the curse is lifted to that degree. But what you're going through now, as creation goes through it now, is limited. 
It's limited. It's not permanent. It's called futile. But there is with it anticipation, folks. That's what verse 21 is highlighting. An anticipation. The last verse, two words of verse 20, uh, 20, yeah, 20, which you probably saw there, is in hope. In hope, the creation itself also will be set free. It has a confident expectation of it. It will be set free from its slavery to corruption. I think that's a fascinating concept. It's a slave right now. It's a slave to corruption. It wants set free. It's restrained right now. It's chained, if you will. It wants set free. And this isn't a maybe. This isn't a potential. This is reality. It will be set free. You know, some pictures we've seen perhaps in the movies, and I hope it wasn't a real life situation for you, a prisoner in jail keeping tally marks on the wall. Most of the time that represents the number of days or years or months they've been there, right? Imagine creation in the same kind of a prison putting tally marks that says, I'm this day closer, one day closer, one day closer, one day closer, getting closer. Creation is going to be set free. It anticipates its release. It's not counting how long has I been here. It's counting how much longer until I'm set free. That's the creation we live in. It's waiting to be set free. It's waiting for bondage to be done. It's got a countdown going, if you will, that it's going to be set free. Set free from these things. Because it's been a slave to corruption for a very long time. Interesting word. The word for corruption is the word for shriveling. You ever notice that on a 106 degree day when you look at your plants? That's corruption. That's what it's bound to. It's been withering. It's been spoiling. It's been in ruin. It's been corrupt. It's been defiled. It's been destroyed. By the way, that's even the word for depraved. But that's going to change. That's what Paul's teaching here. It's going to change. It's a condition. Yes. It's chained to that condition now. Yes. It cannot set itself free. That's true. But it has to wait until God is ready. And then it will. I wonder if it's going to yell at that moment. If it could yell and clap its hands over everything. I wonder what kind of sounds we're going to hear when creation is that free. How excited it's going to be. Just to be able to produce like that God designed them to be. Set free into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. This is a great little passage, but let me just read a paragraph. Just a small one from the Bible Knowledge Commentary. It says, when God's program of salvation for people is completed, and the children of God together experience their glorious freedom from sin, Satan, and physical decay, then the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay. Creation is waiting on us. What God has in store for us, when we are set free, finally, it will be set free. Okay, you've got the picture? Now let's go back to point three that I started with. In verse number 22, 
This is observable. This is where it gets really easy for us to understand. For we know. I like those words. We know. We know what he's about to say, but we know what he means when he says that. We know perfectly well that creation is groaning. We know perfectly well it's experiencing, as the strong concordance says it, a common calamity. I think that's an interesting set of words. A common calamity. It, it's, it's in the straits. Ever hear the word in the straits before? That's, that's a term that no claustrophobic likes to hear. That's this, and you can't move. I hate that feeling. I can't even think about it right now. Uh, I have to have room. I've got to move. I, I, I can't stand tight places. Uh, I was working once in the kitchen at one of our homes and replacing the, the top, the countertop, uh, on the kitchen cabinets. And there was one screw that needed to go up. It was in the back corner of the cabinet. And you had to go in the cabinet and drill the screw up through there to hold the countertop down. And there was a shelf in there, so I had to get on my back and slide back on the shelf. And when I got there, I realized I couldn't move my arms. And how do you get the drill up there and the screw and everything when your arms are stuck? And for a minute there, I thought, I might as well pass out. I don't know what else to do. That would have been a nice scene, but... Uh, Slowly I got my, my wits again, and I kind of screwed it back out, and I said, you know what, it doesn't need a screw. And that was my conclusion. But, but you've been in spots, maybe you know that feeling. That's the word. It's in straits right now. That's a, the that's a word for this, this word right here in verse number 21, or 22. It groans. That word for groan is not so much a sound, it's a sigh. It's, it's, a, it's a kind of an inaudible murmur. It's almost a panic. But it's got grief in it. It's got a grudge even in it. But it's a sigh. It's like, I don't want to be here. I, I'm pressed in. I, I'm, I'm just, you know, so tightly bound I can't move. I'm frustrated by it. I, I can't move. That's the pain's of childbirth. A picture of going through that canal, that journey. It's terribly uncomfortable. You can't do anything else but go through there. But you know it's a short duration until you're out. You're free. That's the picture. That's what we're living in now. The world is going through that. The creation is going through that. And in a sense, we as believers are going through that, as he's going to illustrate that next week in our next passage. It's for a short while we're in this tightly restricted, limited, sigh-filled experience. And it's difficult. And we know it, don't we? We know it. So we know its situation today is not good, but it's not permanent. That's our present situation and our future expectation. So as we're walking through this, we're talking not so much about the animals or plants or creation. That's just the illustration. We're talking about God's plan for you as a believer. 
What he has in store for you as a child of God. This is not a dream. This is not wishful thinking. This is not the old little hope so that maybe I'll get into heaven. I hope so kind of a thing. This is the reality of what the Lord has said of us. He said that, uh, well, for example, and I'll turn to 1 John chapter 3 and say it accurately here. This is what he said. 1 John 3, verse 1, 2, and 3. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us. Now, I want to ask you something. Do you believe He loves you that greatly? Good. There's two people in this room convinced of it. God loves you. Every page of this book says it. Even the discipline passages. Because what does that tell us? God loves you. And here, see how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called children of God. And such we are. We're not waiting for that. It's done. God has declared you His child through faith in Jesus Christ. You're His. For this reason the world does not know us. (laughs) It's trying to figure us out too. Because it did not know Him. Beloved, now we are children of God. And it has not appeared as yet what we will be. There is where we're at. We're in the middle of that. And we haven't seen the end yet. But he just says this. But we know this. That when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him. Did you hear it? We will See Him. That erased every doubt, didn't it? There's no maybes in that. We will see Him, just as He is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on Him purifies himself just as He is pure. I'll tell you, this is where our problem is. We take our hope off of Him and put it on something else. And then you start to doubt happens that way every time. Do you know that? The minute you take your your hope and set it on anything but Him, you doubt. Because nothing else is sure. Nothing else is solid. Nothing else is faithful. Nothing else is as constant as our God. So it says, we, we who have our hope fixed on Him, well, we believe this. And we live accordingly. We purify ourselves just as He is pure. That's an important thing that we're working through here because, as I said, His love for you is incredible. Our future is secure. Not based on you, not based on me, not on what we're doing, because we're all bound up, remember? We're kind of just moving through, limited as we are. But the future is based on what He has said. So He illustrates that with creation. What's the testimony of it? God will keep His Word. Creation expects it. God will keep His Word. And if God is going to keep His promise to nature and to creation, do you think that He might keep it to you as well? I love that phrase that Jesus said, Aren't you better than the sparrow? And God takes care of him. These are important things. 
I know we haven't really discussed our side of it yet, but I'm going to read it to you so you anticipate it for next week. Verse 23. Not only this, but we also ourselves, having the first fruit of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body, in the hope we have been saved, I mean, for in hope we have been saved, the hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes what he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance we wait eagerly for it. We wait for it. I like the comparison here. I like what he's doing with the passage. There is glory to come. There is glory to come. You have a future in Christ Jesus. There's no doubt about that in God's Word. No doubt whatsoever. You are secured in God's plan. Peter says it this way. I read this to you as I close my thoughts, but that, that doesn't mean close your mind right now. All right? I said close my thoughts, and he said, oh, he's done. Now hang in there. I want you to hear these words. All right? In 1 Peter chapter 1, in the first three verses. Now, start with verse 3, and go to verse number 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away and is reserved in heaven for you. If it's reserved there, guess who's going to receive it? You will. You, verse 5, who are protected by the power of God through faith for our salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Who's keeping you? He is. Who's made the promise? He did. Who made it possible? He did. I love saying that. The emphasis is on Him, folks. It's on Him. Now that's just a little touch of what creation is up to right now. That's what it's going through. It's our illustration of what God is doing in our lives. As you stop and think about that this week, you walk through the course of a week, and I know what a week looks like. It gets busy, things happen, uh, activities and such. Maybe you'll get frustrated with something. Maybe you'll say, you know, I don't know why I keep doing it this way. Or you might say, why can't that ever, you know, and you're expecting a different result for doing it the same way a thousand times. Futility is the word. All right? Futility is the word. That's a reality, but it is limited. It is limited. Keep your eyes on Him. Set your eyes on Him. Heavenly Father, you know every heart in this room. You know the struggles we face. You know them all very well. You've been watching us our entire lives. You, you see how a week not only has transpired behind us, but what is set before us as well. And yet, when we stop today and read your word, we rest in who you are, your character, your actions, 
and especially your great love for us. We thank you that you do have a plan that will be fulfilled, and someday we will understand it better. We will stand in the midst of it. We will rejoice with all our heart. We shall see Jesus, our Savior. We shall stand in the place you have prepared for us, and how exciting that will be. We look forward to it, Lord. We look forward to it. Thank you for your mercy for this day. Thank you for your grace for this day. The physical strength we needed for this day has been given to us. The bread to eat has been given to us. The air to breathe has been given to us. You are providing for us each and every moment, and we thank you for that. But you have done far more than that, Lord. You have provided eternity for us, and we long for it. Reset our focus, I pray this morning, not on ourselves, not on our circumstances, not on the things that easily beset us and entangle us and cause us to fall. Help us to set our eyes on you. Fix our hope on you and walk accordingly. For we seek to glorify you here, for we will glorify you there, and we long for that day. Thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness to us. We have a secure future because of you, and we love you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.